You're going to love this. Just love it. Guess it depends on the definition of love. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM, KYAQ on the Central Coast at 106.7 FM, Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM, WLRI News Radio, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM, KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN Green Renaissance Network, 94.1 FM. And in Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. And, yep, Minneapolis, St. Paul's Great AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota, is with us as well. And coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. As we blanket planet Earth five days a week on the broadcast, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Well, wow. Just wow. I got nowhere else to go here. Just wow. <laughs> this, I, I realize that nothing we will cover today on, on the broadcast is nearly as important as Donald Trump lying about his health records on the, the Dr. Oz show or whatever the hell that's called. But still, while the nation is going absolutely insane with the most patently unqualified man to ever be nominated for president of the United States by a major party. And he's doing pretty well at it, by the way. While that's going on and our our nation's already broken system of theoretically small D democracy, uh, small D democratic elections continues to crumble under the crushing, corruptive weight of unbridled spending by millionaire and billionaires uh, who are now able to legally buy our elections, something that we are not talking about very much this year while we're all uh, distracted with that shiny thing called Donald Trump. But that is continuing to go on. Our system is continuing to crumble, and it is continuing to get little or no coverage in the corporate mainstream media, who, by the way, benefits in a huge way, literally, from all of these uh, millions and billions uh, that are put into the political process, as it is uh, the corporate media that receives all of that money in advertising and so forth. So little reason, little wonder. I should say that they don't want to talk about it, that they don't spend much time on it, but it continues to go on. 
And now we have further, I would argue, jaw-dropping proof of that today, thanks to a massive leak of emails and other previously unreleased documents from the currently quashed state criminal investigation of Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker's controversial 2012 recall election and the right-wing groups who illegally colluded, as these documents underscore, I would argue, in no uncertain terms, as they colluded to raise millions uh, for that uh, campaign by Ill- and illegally coordinating the uh, the raising of those millions with Walker and his campaign. So much more on that remarkable and obscene corruption and collusion concerning Walker and the National Republican donor class and the political machine, the very same one, the very same one, the very same people, the very same names. Uh, who are now supporting the GOP nominee uh, nominee for president. As a matter of fact, Donald Trump himself is seen in these documents as giving illegal dark money to this uh, campaign in 2012. Uh, anyway, that same machine is revealed as gaming the 2011 and 2012 recall elections up in Wisconsin in these amazing documents. Some 1,300 pages of them that I've been trying to plow through as best I can since yesterday. So more on that with my guest in a moment. But obscene campaign finance corruption and the use of illegal dark money contributions is not all that is revealed by these leaks that we'll talk about in a minute. In in, uh, newly released emails, I love the way they put this at the Wisconsin State Journal. Critics, critics see proof of political motive. For GOP voter fraud claims. Oh, you think? Just critics? All right, so here's what the Wisconsin State Journal reports today. Hours after polls closed in Wisconsin's closely contested 2011 state Supreme Court election, which we covered in great detail at bradblog.com and uh, here on the Bradcast, uh, Republican consultants and lobbyists traded emails about launching a potential public campaign to allege, quote, widespread, unquote, voter fraud. Newly released emails show. Critics say the emails are another sign of political motives behind Republican claims that voter fraud is a serious problem in Wisconsin. So just to set the stage here, just to remind you, if you don't remember going back to 2011, Governor Scott Walker had just uh, won his election. He came in uh, and immediately rammed through a law that uh, that that cut uh, union rights, public union rights, that stripped public union rights, something he had not run on during his campaign, but something that he did immediately as he got in and uh, as the Republican uh, lawmakers out there supported this effort to push this thing through. There was huge protests. It led to a recall election for Scott Walker, which we'll talk about in our next segment in detail. Um But there was much contention about the election itself for the state Supreme Court that took place just before that, because this election would potentially give Scott Walker the majority on the court that he needed to uphold that union stripping law. 
Okay, and so that was the David Prosser election. Uh, It was very close on election night. He was said to have lost. Then an election clerk up in Waukesha County suddenly discovered, oh, thousands of ballots that she hadn't reported on election night. It led to a big recount and everything else. And we reported in many cases exclusively on this program and at Bradblog.com in details with pictures of ballot bags that came in for the recount that were torn open. As if someone had reached in there and and messed with those ballots. And this was the elections official that uses her own personal computer. No one else gets to touch it. Correct. Uh, And she's now gone. For all the results. Right. Correct. She was the only one who was able to oversee the computer that she kept in her own office with all of the results in it. So this thing was a mess. But on election night... Uh, And in the early morning hours afterwards, it was a very, very close race. Nobody knew which way it was going to go. Okay, back to the Wisconsin State Journal. Uh, The the emails, uh, which became public Wednesday uh, through a report by Guardian U.S., an arm of the British uh, newspaper, included leaked court documents from the secret John Doe investigation into Governor Scott Walker's 2012 recall campaign. They were dated to the early morning hours of April 6, 2011. At that time, the outcome remained too close to call in the race between incumbent and GOP-favored then-Justice David Prosser. Uh, and his Democratic opponent, Judge Joanne Kloppenberg. Steve Boss, a lobbyist for the Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce and former Republican legislative staffer, floated an idea on the email thread. Quote, do we need to start messaging widespread reports of election fraud so we are positively set up for the recount regardless of the final numbers? I obviously think we should. So he was basically saying, do we need to start telling people there were widespread reports of election fraud, even though there were no such reports? Not at that time. Scott Jensen, the former GOP assembly speaker turned lobbyist for American Federation for Children, a private school voucher advocacy group, quickly responded, yes, anything fishy should be highlighted. Stories should be solicited by talk radio hosts. We don't have time to get into it here today, but uh, talk radio uh, gave millions. Right wing talk radio up uh, up in uh, Wisconsin gave millions of dollars of airtime for free uh, to Scott Walker and to his uh, to his recall election up there. As a matter of fact, Charlie Sykes, who has now come out, this right wing host in Wisconsin, uh, decrying what has become of the uh, the right wing media that has led to Donald Trump's nomination. Charlie Sykes was the main guy who was giving away free airtime for Scott Walker in violation of federal law, I would argue. But again, I don't want to go down that road for now. I want to focus on this. So they were calling on talk radio to be their friends, to come out and uh, misinform the state and the country that there was widespread election fraud. These Republicans were. In another email, Scott Jensen writes uh, that Prosser needs to be on talk radio in the morning saying he is confident he won and talk radio needs to scream that the Dems are trying to steal the race. This is how it works, people. This is what the Republicans do. They come out, they pretend in any close race that there is widespread election fraud. Republicans are trying to steal the race. Here's the actual email from this from this uh, from this leak. Dear team, this is from Scott Jensen. I was at the Prosser party all night. I've spoken with Brian about the need for Prosser to declare victory now, if not first thing in the morning. He needs to be on talk radio in the morning saying he is confident he won and talk radio needs to scream the Dems are trying to steal the race. 
The attorney general needs to step up and say he is working to protect the integrity of the election results. For those who have done a statewide recount, this will be a roller coaster ride over the next two or three weeks. The statewide canvas will probably take until Monday, and it will differ by hundreds of thousands of votes from tonight's results. This is why we need to declare victory first, so it appears that the results are being overturned if they go the other way. The RNC and the Republican Party of Wisconsin need to recruit hundreds of volunteers to oversee the recount. As the old Warren Zevon song goes, quote, send lawyers, guns and money. That was the messaging happening from the uh, from the Republicans declare that there was fraud so that they could then challenge the results if they ended up uh, being found to be the legitimate losers in the race. And of course, right wingers stepped up and uh, and did it. As 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 they do, Brian Nemoir, uh, Prosser's campaign director, raised concerns about, quote, ballot integrity. Wall Street Journal's right wing columnist John Fund, uh, the guy who has been pushing the voter fraud myth. He, he's a the, the king, really, of the voter fraud fraudsters. John Fund said there were a lot of unanswered questions. There was lots of irregularities. Of course, there wasn't not at that time. Rick Hassan, an election law professor at UC Irvine, he was the first to flag these uh, these particular emails. He's written about the voter fraud fraudsters for years as well. He says, uh, quote, it all show it shows that all this talk of fraud is all about manipulating Republic public Republican public opinion to believe that if Democrats won a close Supreme Court race and the recall went to a recount that the election was stolen by Democratic voter fraud. This cynical messaging, Hassan writes, is sadly validating, validating of what many of us have said for years. Indeed, that's exactly what we have said for years. That's what's going on. That's what the Republicans do. And that's what Donald Trump is talking about, by the way, when he says, oh, this election could be rigged. Uh, Assembly Democratic leader Peter Barca of Kenosha told the Wisconsin State Journal in a statement, the exchange shows Republicans clearly had no qualms about deceiving Wisconsin voters. This latest revelation exposes the way Republican spin machine works. They were prepared to simply make things up, he said. And indeed, in Wisconsin, they have passed a photo ID voting restriction claiming it is to prevent voter fraud when everyone knows it is to keep certain Democratic-leaning voters from being able to cast their vote. And despite being found illegal and in violation of the uh, Constitution and the Voting Rights Act, this year, in Wisconsin at least, that photo ID restriction has been allowed for now to stand. By the way, David Prosser went on to win that election uh, in that recount. He served five more years on the high court in Wisconsin, uh, that win gave the uh, majority to Scott Walker cronies. Prosser stepped down in July, uh, but not before killing, at least trying to kill the very investigation from where these uh, documents that I've just read to you from where those come from. So Prosser was on that court receiving money from the very same people that Scott Walker was receiving money from and tried to kill the investigation into all of it. We will talk about that after this break. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Stop the world, but I'm trying. I wish I could. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, okay, we talked in the last segment about the new and, frankly, breathtaking revelations from a massive new leak of emails and, and other documents from the currently terminated state investigation into Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker's collusion with supposedly independent but actually right-wing groups. Regarding uh, specifically in that segment, uh, regarding the, uh, the state Republicans attempt to pretend that there was massive Democratic voter fraud following the very, very close 2011 election of a state Supreme Court justice whose ultimate victory in that race resulted in a majority on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court who upheld Walker's union busting laws and later quashed the investigation into the collusion itself. But more than revealing exactly what so many of us have reported for so many years about Republicans using fake claims of voter fraud to try and win close elections, the emails and and other documents uh, released by The Guardian here reveal much, much worse issues of concern about the shameful state of democracy and elections in the U.S., particularly following the U.S. Supreme Court's United uh, Citizens United ruling in 2010 and others like it. According to this remarkable report from The Guardian U.S. on Wednesday, by way of just one example of, of what we are learning from these documents, when Scott Walker looked uh, to be facing a very real chance of losing his recall election back in 20, uh, 2011 and 2012, uh, the documents reveal that uh, Walker asked his main fundraiser, a woman by the name of Kate Doner, to uh, yes, donor, <laughs> to write him a briefing note on how they could raise enough money to win the election. She responded with an email we now know to Walker and his top advisors that read, Gentlemen, here are my quick thoughts on raising money for Walker's possible recall efforts. Corporations, go heavy, go after them to give. She continued, take Coke's money, get on a plane to Vegas and sit down with Sheldon Adelson, ask him for one million dollars now. Soon after, The Guardian notes, money was pouring in from big corporations and mega wealthy individuals from across the nation. Uh, a few months after the memo, Adelson, the Las Vegas casino magnate uh, who has an estimated personal fortune of some $26 billion, he wired a donation of $200,000 for the cause, but the bulk of that money was not going to Walker's campaign. It was going to a third-party dark money outfit, which was not supposed to be coordinating with Walker and his campaign, at least as I understand it. Uh, one, of, one of the checks that came in to the, uh, to the group, the Wisconsin Club for Growth, a right-wing outfit who, who seems to have taken the lead in this uh, re-election effort, this recall effort for uh, Scott Walker to get him uh, to win that recall, 
uh, and and to whom Walker was personally, I believe, uh, and illegally directing money, according to the uh, prosecutor's case, to that group. Uh, one of the checks had written on its memo in the donor's own hand, quote, because Scott Walker asked. What? That's not supposed to happen, uh, at least not legally. As the Wisconsin State Journal describes this remarkable document dump on Wednesday, a new batch of leaked documents provides the most complete record yet of how Governor Scott Walker raised millions of dollars for a supposedly independent tax-exempt group during the 2011 and 2012 recall elections in Wisconsin, activity that prompted a now-halted John Doe investigation into whether Walker's recall campaign circumvented state campaign finance laws. The newly revealed donations to the Wisconsin Club for Growth included six-figure sums from a from a lead producer, by way of just one example, who later stood to benefit from changes slipped into the uh, 2013-2015 state budget. More than 1,300 pages of documents were posted online Wednesday by Guardian U.S. It's unclear how they obtained the documents, which had been previously held under seal. Um, an article published by The Guardian based on the documents includes previously unreleased information about the effort by Walker to raise millions of dollars for the Wisconsin Club for Growth, a nonprofit group that coordinated the fundraising to help Walker and Senate Republicans beat back those recall election attempts in 2011 and 2012. Here now to join us. Uh, you know, there are a few guests on this show, by the way. Uh, when they show up, it's probably because I've sent out an SOS begging for help in understanding something that is absolutely insane and uh, seemingly impossible to understand. Brendan Fisher is one of those guests. He was formerly general counsel at the Wisconsin-based Center for Media and Democracy. He's now associate counsel at the Campaign Legal Center in Washington, D.C., uh, we've been talking to him for years now about this insane 2012 recall election of Scott Walker and the subsequent John Doe investigation by state prosecutors uh, into, shall we say, this unbelievably corrupt campaign finance scheme and, and other chicanery by Walker and GOP allies like the Koch brothers and, and Karl Rove and the subsequent quashing of that investigation by the state Supreme Court justices who were elected by the very same unbelievably corrupt campaign financing scheme. Uh, anyway, uh, with all of that, Brendan Fisher, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, it, it is a guarantee. I think that every time you are here, something insane has happened or come to light in Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, to be frank, I, I really I've been going uh, through this uh, Guardian uh, story and the documents since last night, more than 1300 pages of emails. I haven't gotten through them all. I don't know if you have. Uh, so and these were all leaked to the Guardian. So let's let's start wide here, Brendan, before we get into some of the specifics. What does this new massive email and document dump in very general terms what does it reveal that we that we didn't know before uh before these documents were made available and i will go out for a sandwich while you answer that one you have the stage <laughs> all right well uh so there's a few ways of looking at it um in terms of what's new uh one is it really shows the these documents show the breadth of the coordination scheme that walker was engaged in uh, it shows that what 
the Republican and Democratic prosecutors in Wisconsin were, were looking into with this investigation uh, was really significant, and it was a uh, broad a broad scheme to evade the state's uh, corporate contribution limits and disclosure requirements. And that was very explicit, that the, the, the purpose of Walker coordinating with this outside group uh, was to evade disclosure laws, to allow corporations and controversial donors to support Walker's re-election without any sort of public disclosure or public accountability. Um, that, was not a, uh, that was not a bug in this coordination scheme. That was a purpose from the beginning, and the emails show that very clearly. Um, Emails also show the degree to which Walker himself was involved in this. Uh, I think that was a question earlier from the uh, from the previous smaller document leaks that had come out. Mm-hmm. It was still not entirely clear what role Walker played and what level of Walker him, what level of knowledge Walker himself had uh, in this overall scheme. And these and these documents lay it out very clearly that Walker was. Walker himself was central to this scheme. There was, this was not something that was going on behind the scenes and run by his advisors without Walker's knowledge. Uh, he was he was central to the fundraising efforts. Uh, he was intentionally asking donors to write checks with the promises that those checks would never be disclosed to the public. He encouraged donors to write checks from the corporate account and he encouraged donors to write checks that would have exceeded the contribution limits that apply to his own campaign. Because those checks, um, those checks were going to this to these third party groups, this Wisconsin Club for Growth, not to his campaign, which would have still had a monetary limit on how much they could give to his campaign directly. Correct? Yes, yes, and that's the and that's where the violations that's where the violations arise because. Uh, the reason that Wisconsin Club for Growth is subject to different rules, uh, the sub- subject to rules that are separate from the rules that apply to Walker's own campaign, is because the group is supposedly independent, because the group is supposedly not coordinating uh, with Walker's campaign. And therefore, because it's independent, uh, it's not subject to the same contribution limits that apply to Walker's own campaign. It's not subject to the same prohibition on corporate corporate contributions mm-hmm. that apply to Walker's own campaign, and also not subject to the disclosure requirements uh, that apply to Walker's own campaign, and that's and that apparently is why Walker wanted to work directly with this group. And really, when you look at these documents, the two are interchangeable. This was not this was not an uh, an instance where Walker's campaign had a few conversations here and there with Wisconsin Club for Growth officials. Uh, it was Wisconsin Club for Growth was an arm of the Walker campaign. Donors gave to Wisconsin Club for Growth and wrote in the memo line uh, 501c4 Walker. Uh, he Walker referred to referred to this group as his 501c4. Uh, he wrote thank you notes to donors after they gave to the 501c4. And then Walker's campaign manager uh, also apparently decided how Wisconsin Club for Growth would would spend the money. Um, so that's so that's a few of the examples of what we didn't know entirely before. Uh-huh. Um, also, bigger bigger picture. Um, uh-huh. This is one of those rare snapshots into how dark money works. Uh, dark money has dark money meaning electoral spending from source from unidentified, undisclosed sources, uh, which really exploded after the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Citizens United. Uh, it's it, this this. It's on uh, Brendan. Just to clarify, it it's uh, undisclosed to the public. 
but it's not necessarily undisclosed, uh, obviously, to these groups, these uh, tax-exempt nonprofit 501c4 groups, or even to the candidates, in this case, Scott Walker, who are who they are supporting. Those folks know exactly who who gives that money uh, yes. to the groups, just not the public, right? Yes, exactly, and that's what and that's what these documents lay out very clearly. Uh, that in this in this case, uh, Walker knew exactly who was funding Wisconsin Club for Growth, uh, but and and he personally was asking those donors to fund Wisconsin Club for Growth, but the public had no idea. Um, the public had no idea that Walker had any relationship whatsoever with Wisconsin Club for Growth. They didn't know that Walker was flying around the country asking for donations to Wisconsin Club for Growth. Um, and as a result, the public was unable to connect the dots between the secret three-quarters of a million dollar contributions to Wisconsin Club for Growth and the later policy decisions uh, that, that Walker took. And, and I think you explained one of them, um, a lead paint manufacturer that uh, was facing lawsuits from children who, who it's painted poisoned, uh, that corporation gave $750,000 to Wisconsin Club for Growth. Man. And around that same time, Walker signed a bill to immunize the company from, from litigation. Uh, also, um, oh. out-of-state mining company called uh, Gogabit Taconite, uh-huh. a Florida-based mining company that wanted to build a, an open-pit iron ore mine in the state secretly gave $700,000 to Wisconsin Club for Growth. Uh, after Walker won re-election, he prioritized, he, he, he championed the mine as, as a top legislative priority for the next term. Um, and both of these bills were very controversial, highly debated in Wisconsin, um, but the public never had any idea that the companies that stood to profit from the legislation had secretly spent significant amounts of money uh, supporting Walker and supporting uh, other Republicans. It's just, it's incredible to me. $750,000 from a single donor, and then they get this uh, sweetheart deal in legislation, uh, you know, to take away, uh, to give them immunity, essentially, from these lawsuits uh, from children who were poisoned, and the public never knows about it. Now, the Wisconsin Club for Growth, a 501c4 tax-exempt nonprofit, supposedly these C4 groups are, exist primarily for, uh, quote, social welfare purposes. Actually, in the tax code, I believe they are supposed to exist exclusively for social welfare purposes. But uh, clearly... They were strictly a political outfit, if you look at what we've what we've learned from these documents. Now, for their part, Wisconsin Club for Growth says its role in the recall elections was, quote, to educate Wisconsin citizens. The club paid for advertisements that advanced its pro-liberty fiscal responsibility, pro-Act 10 beliefs, Act 10 was that, uh, that that bill that Walker passed quickly after uh, w- winning his first uh, election in 2010 that stripped union rights, public union rights. Um, they, uh, Wisconsin Club for Growth goes on to say none of the advertisements that they purchased with all of this money expressly urged voters to vote for or against any candidate. So... Brendan Fisher, help me understand, because I know there were state laws and they have changed since. We'll get to that in a moment. But there were state laws that prohibited certain things that uh, became no longer prohibited at the federal level, as I understand it, after the Citizens United ruling in 2010. And by the way, it's no coincidence that all of this seems to have happened 
in 2011, I, I think right after the 2010 Citizens United uh, decision. So what's the distinction here between what the federal law was at the time and what the state uh, uh, restrictions that were still in place in Wisconsin at the time? If you can hit that big question very quickly. Uh, sure. Well, so there's a few things there. So federal law, federal law really hasn't changed, um, mm-hmm. although state law, well, so state law, like federal law, uh uh, restricted coordination between candidates mm-hmm. and outside groups, and and that's a central. There's, there's been a central distinction in campaign finance law uh, between contributions and spending, contributions to and spending by candidates, and contributions to and spending by independent groups, as, as we described before. Um, mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court has said that contributions to candidates pose a greater risk of corruption, and therefore uh, they can be limited. Uh, contributions and spending by independent groups uh, pose less risk of corruption because they are independent, uh, and therefore uh, the court is going to look at restrictions on uh, on those groups in a much more, uh, they're, they're going to scrutinize those uh, restrictions in a much more um, serious way. So as, as a result, uh, outside independent groups, uh, after Citizens United, have largely no contribution limits, and groups like Wisconsin Code for Growth have pushed the have pushed the envelope, and have and because of a inactive Federal Elections Commission and because of a uh, because mm-hmm. of a cowed IRS, yes. uh, they've largely been able to get away with uh, abusing the tax code and acting as political committees, uh, uh, even though they're supposed to be primarily engaged in in social welfare. And that, by um, the way, that that part of it that candidates and campaigns are not supposed to coordinate with those groups that part is 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 not in question or hasn't been in question in general right i mean there's still this this fiction that oh they're an independent group and and i as a candidate or as a campaign i can't coordinate with them what they're doing is totally independent that part is is, is sort of understood, at least publicly, to to be the case, right? That that's not controversial, yeah. is it? Yeah, and that's the so the, the coordination is the is really the linchpin in mm-hmm. this two tiered approach to campaign finance law, uh, and the ways and you know you've seen you've seen many candidates uh, pushing the envelope on coordination um, either through. Uh, Staffing using former campaign staffers mm-hmm. to lead the super PAC, or mm-hmm. abusing a publicly available loophole, for example, by posting um, uh, background footage or B-roll of a candidate onto YouTube, which right. the outside group can then make use of. Um, so you've seen efforts to erode that, uh, erode the wall between candidates and outside groups. But what but what Walker and Wisconsin Club for Growth did was was unequivocally coordination. Um, it seems there was no really no distinction whatsoever between Wisconsin Club for Growth and the Walker campaign. But the way that uh, they got away with it uh, is they were able to convince the Wisconsin Supreme Court that there was a constitutional distinction between coordination over ads that expressly said vote for and vote against a candidate versus ads that said um, Scott Walker is a great guy mm-hmm. and aren't we, aren't, aren't we glad that he's a Wisconsinite? Or... Scott Walker's opponent is a terrible person. Uh, call the opponent and tell him to stop being so terrible. Right. So the the issue ads, these 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 issue ads that are unequivocally about elections, unequivocally intended to influence 
influence elections and influence the way that people way that people vote. They just stop short of including words like vote for or vote against. And the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, declared that that is a that that is a constitutional dividing line when it comes to coordination. If any ads that don't include these magic words uh, are entirely beyond the reach of campaign finance law, and groups that only do those these so-called issue ads can basically do whatever they want, and they can do it when in full coordination with candidates. Um, and that's what really was so problematic about their uh, about the Wisconsin Supreme Court's decision, um, because that's not something that any court had previously held. And in this court specifically, this Wisconsin Supreme Court, had a, a majority that supported Scott Walker. It's supposed to be a nonpartisan, uh, uh, nonpartisan justices on the court, but in fact, they run for election in the state of Wisconsin, and. Uh, the majority was given to uh, pro Scott Walker justices when uh, David Prosser, uh, we talked a little bit about it in the, in the last segment, but when uh, uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice David Prosser, his contentious reelection happened just before Scott Walker's re- recall election. That gave the uh, you know Walker friends the uh, the majority on the court. And this was the same court that then went on to quash this investigation from which we are finding these documents and David Prosser himself, as I understand it, received a whole bunch of funding from the Wisconsin Club for Growth or a bunch of support in any event. And from many of the same, the very same funders who were funding Scott Walker's recall election. And yet David Prosser did not recuse himself from the decision to kill this investigation. Do I understand that correctly? And if so, how did Prosser justify not recusing himself uh, from the decision whether to uh, kill this uh, state investigation or not? Yeah, this was a really disturbing aspect of this entire uh, of this entire investigation, the entire and this entire um, pushback against the against the investigation. As if the stuff pre- up till now hasn't been disturbing. <laughs> but go yeah. ahead, Brendan. Yeah, there's a whole there's it's layer upon layer yes. of, uh, of of dispar- disturbing facts. Um, so Wisconsin Supreme Court, uh, seven member court, four of the, uh, the four member uh, four member majority, uh, conservative majority. And that conservative majority had been elected with, by our count, at least $10 million in spending from the exact same groups that were accused of coordinating with the Walker campaign, the exact same groups that were uh, parties to the parties to the case before the court, um, and the exact same groups that were, would be subject to penalty if the investigation were allowed to go forward. Um, so when the uh, so, so two of the justices. Mm-hmm. Justice David Prosser and Justice uh, Justice Gableman mm-hmm. were asked to recuse themselves by the the prosecutor leading leading the investigation, and they declined to do so. Uh, and that was perhaps not surprising, um, given the uh, given the state of Wisconsin Supreme Court. But it did seem to run afoul of the uh, U.S. Supreme Court's guidance in the Caperton v. Massey case, uh, which held that if a state Supreme Court justice uh, has has uh, has has been supported to a significant degree by a organization or party to a case before the court, then uh, due process requires that the justice recuse themselves. And and that is one of the um, issues that the U.S. Supreme Court may take up if they decide to review this case. 
In uh, the Guardian notes that uh, in a contentious twist to the ruling that the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court had made when they when they quashed this John Doe investigation, uh, the justices ordered the prosecutors to, quote, permanently destroy all copies of information and other materials obtained through the investigation. I I think, by the way, Brendan Fisher, that's the last time we had you on the, the show to discuss that crazy ruling. What was the Wisconsin Supreme Court's ostensible reason uh, for for not just terminating the investigation, but ordering all of the documents here destroyed, which clearly they have not been? And clearly, I would argue, for the public's interest, uh, it's a good thing they haven't been because we're learning a whole hell of a lot about uh, how our electoral system works in this case. Yeah, I mean, these, these documents are really, really astounding, um, not only with respect to this to this investigation, but just as a, as a snapshot into the way that elections work, into the way that dark money works, mm-hmm. uh, into the way that um, some partisan players will gin up voter fraud for, for narrow, mm-hmm. narrow partisan purposes. Um, but I think the, so the Wisconsin Supreme Court, from the get-go, uh, was conflicted in this case, uh, but ignored those conflicts and issued a ruling that rewrote central tenets of Wisconsin campaign finance law, uh, raised significant questions under the U.S. Constitution uh, about what can be, what can be regulated, um, if anything really can, can remain when it comes to campaign finance restrictions. And they also, they also ordered the destruction of evidence, which was a, an, astounding, an astounding step because they, they should have known that prosecutors were looking to uh, to appeal this case to the US Supreme Court mm-hmm. um, and there were additional additional other uh, other additional strange ripples uh, for example uh, attorneys at a at a major law firm offered pro bono representation to the prosecutors in preparing their cert petition to the US Supreme Court uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court said that that was not permissible that the prosecutors could not accept the free pro bono representation from these uh, from these attorneys, uh, which of course makes it harder to uh, prepare a prepare sure. a petition before the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, and uh, and the, and the court also, in its opinion, uh, went into a long aside, basically relying on uh, inflammatory and fact challenge reports from the National Review and uh, an org- uh, website called Wisconsin Watchdog. Talking about how the uh, the targets of the investigation were subject to these pre-dawn raids, uh, that the uh, that that law enforcement in searching people's houses used these uh, used these jackbooted uh, <laughs> fascistic tactics. Um, of course, those and those issues were not briefed uh, before the Wisconsin Supreme Court. There was no. Uh, there was no fact-finding conducted. There was no opportunity for the prosecutors to describe how things actually happened. Um, and lo and behold, as further information came out in um, subsequent court cases and subsequent uh, document leaks, it turned out that many of the um, inflammatory portrayals of, of how law enforcement uh, went about obtaining these materials were, were false. Uh, so there's there's just really layer layer upon layer yes. of um, of disturbing aspects of of this case, but it, I think we're uh, we're very lucky to have ultimately seen these documents, which do undermine the um, undermine the claims of the targets of the John Doe investigation and their allies, 
on the Wall Street Journal editorial board and at the National Review. And uh, I'm speaking with Brendan Fisher, the associate counsel at the Campaign Legal Center in Washington, D.C., about these remarkable documents uh, from this Wisconsin state probe uh, that were never, well, not certainly not supposed to see the light of day in, in The Guardian. And if it was up to the, uh, the actual targets of the investigation, including Scott Walker and his friends, these documents would have been destroyed entirely. Let me get to a quick break here, and we'll come back with uh, more thoughts on this from Brendan Fisher and where this case is going from here. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I'm speaking with Brendan Fisher, uh, associate counsel at the Campaign Legal Center in Washington, D.C., about this remarkable document dump of some 1,300 pages from the uh, state investigators probe into Wisconsin's Governor Scott Walker and his illegal collusion with uh, right-wing groups supporting his recall election back in 2012. These documents that we thought would never see the light of day might not see the light of day because they were uh, quashed, essentially, by the state Supreme Court, which was in support of Scott Walker and received the money uh, for their election from the very same people who funded Scott Walker's election after Scott Walker had illegally instructed those donors to give the money to these third parties and colluded with them in violation of campaign finance laws. Uh, I got just a few minutes left here. There's a a couple of points I want to run through because this is not, as you've sort of hinted at uh, several times here, Brendan, not really just about Wisconsin, even though it is specifically about Wisconsin, uh, these documents. But I think there's a much bigger picture here I want to get to nationally in a second. Uh, But among the, uh, the, the, the documents that were released, Um, A check, for example, to Wisconsin Club for Growth from financier G. Frederick Caston Jr. uh, for $10,000. And that was a pretty that was pretty small potatoes. I mean, some of these were hundreds of thousands, million dollars. Uh, Anyway, there was a handwritten memo uh, on the check to Wisconsin Club for Growth, quote, because Scott Walker asked. That kind of seems like a smoking gun right there, literally. Uh, Donald Trump was also revealed to have donated to the Wisconsin Club for Growth, as coincidence would have it, on the very same day that he met with uh, Scott Walker in his uh, in New York City at his offices. Uh, also, a lot of Trump's cronies, millionaire and billionaire titans who are working with, advising and, and funding The uh, Trump presidential campaign right now, they're also seen as sending literally millions to the Wisconsin Club for Growth. Um, (laughs) Just a coincidence, I guess, uh, that all of these same names show up time and time again. Uh, 
this is sort of what I want to get at here. Well, for, okay, first, just to put this to rest, Scott Walker has been claiming that he was never a target. He was not a target of the John Doe investigation. Uh, I believe they've said that even in response to the to the Guardian documents. Is that true? How can they get away with saying that if not? And do we know for a fact, one way or another, whether Scott Walker himself was the target of prosecutors? Yeah, I think what he's relying on is a is a highly uh, legalistic reading of the word target. Um, so prosecutors would use the word target when they're ready to charge somebody with a crime. And, and I believe that uh, prosecutors were not specifically ready to charge Walker with a crime, but he was certainly a subject of this investigation. He was enmeshed in this entire coordination scheme. Um, and the documents do do pretty clearly indicate that the, the, the prosecutors were looking very closely, very closely at Walker. Um, this not a target language came from the, the special prosecutor leading the probe uh, who did issue a statement at one point saying Walker Walker is not a target, again, relying on a highly legalistic um, mm. reading, which I think probably from his point of view was an effort to uh, avoid the investigation influencing the, the election in any way. Um, I, I'm not sure if he intended to give Scott Walker a talking point and give Scott Walker a way to uh, draw attention away from his very significant and central role to this entire scheme. And the point I was hinting at a moment ago uh, and that you've been hinting at throughout here, this is... You know, the reason we keep going back to this case, obviously, I'm no fan of Scott Walker, no fan of the people involved in in uh, his uh, reelection, his recall and so forth up in Wisconsin. But it seems to me that Wisconsin has been sort of a Petri dish for the, you know, American democracy, specifically the way the right Republicans are now viewing how American democracy uh, should work. And we are seeing that very specifically and very, I think, firsthand in this case concerning these several elections concerning Scott Walker. Um, this seems to be the model for the rest of the country. And that's one of the reasons why I keep having you back, Brendan, to talk about it. Uh, is it fair to say that this is sort of an experiment uh, by the right in a test in how far they can go, how far they can get away uh, with this kind of thing? Am I right to look at it that way? Yeah, yeah, and, and one of the things that's so sad about all of this is, is Wisconsin is not a state that, uh, Wisconsin for a long time has been a beacon of, of clean government and, right. a, and, a, and a beacon of open and transparent government. I mean, this is not like Illinois where, you know, every every other governor seems to go to jail right. or or Mississippi or something like that. Wisconsin really has been a leader when it comes to campaign finance reform for many years. Um, and actually, the group that led this investigation, the uh, Government Accountability Board, mm -hmm. was widely considered a model for the rest of the country. It was a nonpartisan elections agency staffed not with partisan appointees, but with retired nonpartisan judges. Um, and really, by, by participating in this investigation, they were doing their job. They were enforcing the law. As a result, uh, Walker and his allies in the uh, legislature killed the Government Accountability Board. Yes. And, and made it into a, uh, a toothless, deadlocked watchdog modeled after the ineffective uh, Federal Elections Commission. But yeah, I think this is absolutely a model for uh, what's happening in the rest of the country. Um, 
the other other courts, other ideologi- ideologically driven courts, are likely going to be relying on the Wisconsin Supreme Court decision um, as justification for their efforts to deregulate through the judicial system. Uh, other potential targets of enforcement actions, other other political operatives that violate the law that may be subject to some sort of uh, enforcement action by election election officials will probably use the Wisconsin example as a way to intimidate regulators from enforcing the law. Um, I mean, the process, one of the things we haven't talked about is just how much the the prosecutors have been uh, had their names dragged through the mud for uh, for doing their job here. Um, but that's that's one of the other that's one of the other pieces of this. Just how much the uh, the strategy here has been to rough up the refs, and mm-hmm. that's going to be used in other in other situations. Um, and and that's really that's really inf- important. And I think sometimes reformers forget about this. We talk a lot about overturning Citizens United. We talk a lot about drafting new legislation, passing new laws that are uh, that are going to regulate the role of big money in politics, but. You can have the best laws on the books. You can get rid of Citizens United, but the laws are meaningless if they're not enforced. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need you need nonpartisan, vigorous enforcement of the campaign finance laws, and that is what happened here. And it is probably going to and and the way that the John Doe has shaken out very likely means that other election agencies are going to decline decline to enforce the laws in the future. Uh, and that's pretty dangerous. Uh, it, it very dangerous. I mean, I've I've you know been saying for some time if this can happen in Wisconsin, this otherwise, or I should say, I guess previously good government state, if it can happen in Wisconsin, this can happen anywhere. And they they seem to be creating the absolute model for how to do it uh, everywhere. Uh, I've got just a, a minute or so uh, left here, uh, Brendan. The prosecution uh, in this case that uh, to the prosecutors, uh, they're called to reopen this John Doe case that was quashed for now by the Wisconsin Supremes. Uh, they're calling on the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, as you noted, uh, I think in just a week or two, uh, hoping to revive the case. This specific case that was killed by the Wisconsin Supremes, um, is that specifically what they're asking for? And if so, uh, what can we expect from the U.S. Supreme Court here, particularly as they're now operating shorthanded after the death of uh, Scalia last February and and, uh, with the Republican Senate's refusal to allow Obama to name a successor? Uh, give us a, as best you can, you can a, a preview of what we might be able to expect from the Supreme Court. Yeah, uh, so the court was asked to, the, the U.S. Supreme Court was asked to uh, look at two things. One is whether the Wisconsin Supreme Court got it wrong substantively, uh, whether their, whether the Wisconsin Supreme Court's declaration that uh, issue advocacy is constitutionally protected mm-hmm. and, uh, and can be freely coordinated with candidates without any sort of, uh, without, without being subject to any sort of regulation, whether that was a correct reading of the, of the First Amendment. And the other issue that the court has been asked to look at is the recusal issue, whether two of the justices should have recused themselves in a case involving their biggest financial supporters. Uh, and the uh, the cert petition is going to be reviewed by the U.S. Supreme Court at their next conference on the 26th, I believe. Yeah, And that doesn't necessarily it. mean that they'll uh, decide to take the case or not take the case on that conference, but they will be looking at it. Uh, and I expect that we'll have a... Uh, decision about whether they'll take the case one way or the other 
within the next month or so, probably by the end of October. If they do take the case and if they do look at it, could it result in this very investigation then being reopened in the state of Wisconsin? Uh, that's a it's a possibility. Um, the, I mean, it would be hard. Uh, the uh, Republicans and Walker's allies still control the legislature, still control the mm-hmm. uh, executive branch and the uh, Department of Justice, and they have changed the law uh, since the Wisconsin Supreme Court issued its decision. Um, so it would be it would be complicated, but prosecutors have expressed a willingness to. Uh, to move forward with the investigation if they do get the green light from the uh, from the U.S. Supreme Court. And so it's a possibility, but it remains to be seen. Yeah, and my understanding is even though they have changed the law to essentially make this legal, to make this coordination legal in the state of Wisconsin, they did not retroactively do so. So uh, <laughs> he could still be uh, held accountable for this uh, in a certain world, but it's uh, a, a lot of needles that need to be threaded to get us there. Brendan Fisher, uh, always great to talk to you. Uh, Brendan Fisher, Associate Counsel at the Campaign Legal Center in Washington, D.C. I hope you won't mind if we call you in the uh, in the future to make uh, sense of this continual, continuously amazing case out of the state of Wisconsin. You can find Brendan at the uh, on the Twitters at Brendan underscore Fisher and now at Campaign Legal Center dot org brendan always a delight and uh very helpful talking to you all right thanks for having me anytime thank you brother man what a day another one all right uh we got to get out my thanks to my producer desi doyan to my guest brendan fisher of the campaign legal center and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us as we try and figure out this craziness right along with you. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or over at iTunes or your favorite podcast site. Don't forget to give us a good review when you do. Makes it a little easier for everyone else to find us as well. My thanks as well to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we do on your public airwaves. We don't have the Koch brothers helping us out for some reason. Any thoughts on today's program? Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. You can also leave comments at our website, or you can find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the TheBradBlog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.